0: Uh, Would you join me again? Uh, That that song is a prayer, uh, but I'm going to lead us again in a short prayer as we uh, come to God's Word this morning. So join me uh, as we ask for his help. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for sending your Spirit. Uh, It is your Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all, and so we ask for your help this morning, that you would come and that you would meet us by your spirit as your word is proclaimed, that your people would be strengthened and encouraged, and uh, that those among us who perhaps have not come to know you in a saving way, that you would move in their hearts today, that you would humble them and grant them to pour contempt on their pride and in lowliness to receive the mercy that is found in our Lord Jesus. We pray for this in his name. Amen. Uh, Go ahead and open up in your Bibles uh, to Proverbs chapter 22. Uh, If you're going to use one of those Bibles that is provided under the seats there, that's going to be found on page 544. Uh, Proverbs 22, uh, I could be proven wrong about this. You could let me know uh, after the service. Don't, don't, I don't need you to respond right now, but I, I, think, I think I know something about all of you in this room right now, uh, and, and that is that you are hungry for glory. I know you just thought I was, you're hungry, so like maybe you want some lunch, but I, I mean something more than just hunger. You are hungry for glory. I don't believe there's anyone in this room right now who is hoping deep down that their life would amount to absolutely nothing. I don't think there's anyone in this room who wants to be a zero in life. Uh, we, We may desire glory in different ways. Perhaps we want to write the next big hit that is just blowing up on Spotify or perhaps we want to have a place on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, or the Guinness Book of World Records, or maybe we want to be the MVP of the Super Bowl. Whatever it may be that you are desirous of, I I, I think you could fill in the blank there, but we all have a longing for glory. And while that longing can become self-centered and thus destructive, that yearning for glory is actually something that's given by God. Uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, in his first letter, he calls it praise and glory and honor that will come to believers at the revelation of the Lord Jesus. Uh, The Apostle Paul says that by patience in well-doing, uh, those who seek for glory and honor and immortality will receive from God eternal life, Romans 2.7. Uh, we're told in 1 Corinthians 2 that God's secret and hidden wisdom, a reference to the gospel of God's grace in Christ, was decreed before the ages for our glory. The Bible, it's kind of shocking to think about it. But the Bible teaches us that God himself wants to honor us. The climax of his work in us is that on that day when Christ appears, we, his people, will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3 verse 4. God is not out to make his people mediocre, but he is out to make us spectacularly glorious. Jesus himself said that on that last day, uh, our faces will be as radiant as the sun shining in full strength, Matthew 13, 43. He is preparing a glory for his people. But he does have, maybe that itself is surprising, he is preparing glory for his people. He also has a surprising and counterintuitive way of getting us there. It is the way of self-emptying humility. And that brings us to Proverbs 22 verse 4, which is the verse that is printed on uh, the front of your bulletin. And it's the verse that is going to be our starting point this morning. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. The book of Proverbs teaches this connection between humility and honor at other points. Proverbs 29-23. He who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Or Proverbs 18:12, humility comes before honor. Jesus taught this himself. Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And I'm I'm starting this way because it's bringing us in a roundabout sort of way, it's bringing us to our continuing study of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul told the churches of Galatia, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self control, and this morning, as we have studied these different fruit of the spirit, this morning we come to our study of gentleness. What is gentleness uh, i 've read a lot of different definitions of gentleness this past week it 's a little bit complicated honestly uh, it shouldn 't you think gentleness it 's just it 's gentleness but there's gentleness and meekness and humility and all of these different nuances. When I think of gentleness, I can't help but think that for the first year of our second daughter's life, we, we acted as though that was her name, actually. Felicity, for the first year of her life, when she was born, we said to our oldest, Hallie, who was 15 months older than Felicity, so many times in that first year did we say, Be gentle, gentle, gentle that Hallie actually began to just call Felicity gentle. She thought it was her name. And I think that anecdote actually does teach us something about the meaning of gentleness. Gentleness is a a mildness in dealing with other people. It's it's, It's having strength but controlling that strength so as to promote the good and the well-being of another person. It's strength that is used with a tender carefulness, knowing that the human soul is both valuable and fragile. To relate to other people that way, to relate to other people in gentleness, people who are sinful, people who are frustrating, people who are irritating, I don't know if you have any people like that in your life. But to relate in gentleness towards other people, it requires humility. Uh, there is a close relationship between humility and gentleness. When, when Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, when he's talking about living a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called, he says, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling is to do so with all humility and gentleness. He just puts them right together there. Uh, there's a, a well-known uh, Greek-English lexicon Lexicon is a fancy word for dictionary, basically, that defines these Greek words as they were used in the first century. And in this lexicon, for this word gentleness that Paul uses there in Galatians 5.23, it describes it as the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's own self-importance. And that's humility. Right? To not be overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. So the book of Proverbs itself, right? We've been each week we've been talking about the fruit of the spirit, but we're looking at the book of Proverbs to see the wisdom that that book provides us with in growing in the fruit of the spirit. The book of Proverbs doesn't say a lot explicitly about gentleness. It only uses the word gentle one time, at least in the English standard version of the Bible. I'll get to it later in the message. But the, the the book of Proverbs doesn't say a lot about gentleness per se, but it does say an awful lot about humility. And so we can glean from the wisdom of Proverbs as we think about how to grow in gentleness in that way. So I I want us, as we consider the teaching this morning, I, I want us to think through two questions. First, what opposes gentleness or what hinders gentleness? And then secondly, what promotes gentleness? What hinders gentleness? What promotes gentleness? If gentleness... Is a close sibling of humility. I, I don't. Again, I read an awful lot about these two: the meekness and gentleness, and and humility. I, I this is just my own idea in thinking about it. So don't don't take you know, I don't have a Bible verse to support this exactly. But I think gentleness is the, a posture of humility towards God, expressed outwardly in our relationships to each other. Gentleness is the fruit that is born in our relationships with each other, that is born from a humble posture that sees itself rightly in relation to God. And so if if gentleness and humility are very closely related, then I think we can see clearly in Scripture that what stands in the way, what opposes gentleness, is pride. Pride. It is the state of being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. And the proverbs that I mentioned just a few minutes ago draw attention to that truth. So uh, I, I quoted to you the second half of a couple of those proverbs. Proverbs 29:23 says, "One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor." Proverbs 18:12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. So this may, I mean, sometimes I like to just state the obvious, and I think it's rather obvious but helpful to say, proud people are not typically known as gentle people. And since pride is a really pervasive problem, gentleness is a very rare commodity. Gentleness is not popular. Gentleness was not popular in the first century where it was thought to signal a servility that was unbecoming of a strong and confident person. And and that sentiment, I don't think, really has changed in the 2,000 years since Paul highlighted gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, What is popular... And it has been popular ever since mankind fell in disobedience to God in the Garden of Eden. What is popular is selfishness expressed in anger and rage and looking out for number one and backbiting and envy and dissension and revenge and abruptness and rudeness and sarcasm and aggressiveness. All that is very natural to us and it is very foolish. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. Uh, it is pride, it is the folly of pride that compels us to be vocal about our disgust. It's pride that compels us to demand our rights. It's pride that finds justification in venting our vexation. Your, your sinful flesh and this world and our adversary, the devil, are, are never going to applaud you for being gentle. But even though gentleness is not popular, uh, even though it is not our natural inclination, even though to varying degrees every one of us is infected with pride and selfish ambition because of that flesh that is still warring against the Holy Spirit, nevertheless, it's the the commonality and the prevalence of pride does not make harshness and hostility acceptable. What makes it seem acceptable is the prevalence and power of our pride because pride inclines us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Pride compels us to think that my perspective on a matter is the perspective that really matters most. It leads us to think that my way is the way, that my feelings are most dominant. It is what leads me to count myself as more significant than other people in contradiction to what Paul said in Philippians 2 which is to count others more significant than ourselves. But when we're walking in pride, when we think my way is the ultimate way and that my perspective is the ultimate perspective, when someone crosses me, then I get angry. I don't incline to think gently towards them because I love me and I have a wonderful plan for my life and you're in my way and that does not induce me to gentleness. But that, that whole framework is completely backwards because God's word says from him... And him is God, Romans eleven thirty six. 36, from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, amen. That would be an occasion for just one person even to just say out loud, amen, from him, you're not amening me, amen, amen the Lord, all right. from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, Amen. You see, the, the flesh, though, our sinful pride does not say amen to that. We're not okay with that in our pride. We, in our pride, we, we live like and we expect and we want things to be all about ourselves. But God, the good God, the holy God, the most high God, he opposes us in our pride. Proverbs sixteen five. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Pride is looking at God and saying, I don't need you. I will rule my life. I will take care of myself. I will sit on the throne. Or pride is actually even uh, more subtle than that. It's just living in total ignorance of him. Ignoring him in our daily lives and acting as if he just doesn't matter. But, but see, that prideful posture is a denial of reality because what's real is that your next breath depends upon him. We rely on God for everything. He is the one who gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. But in pride, we live as if, as if we owe nothing to him and we need nothing from him. And so he will not leave the arrogant unpunished. I I was thinking about King Herod getting ready to do a study of the book of Acts. I know some of you have asked asked me, what's coming after Proverbs uh, and the fruit of the Spirit? So we're going to start in the fall a study of the book of Acts. So I've been thinking a lot about the book of Acts. And I was thinking about King Herod. Do you remember this story in Acts chapter 12 about King Herod, mighty King Herod? He was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, we're told, in Acts chapter 12. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace. Because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man! And we're told immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. What what an appropriate depiction of another proverb, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Beloved, pride is very ugly. Pride will get in the way of our gentleness. If we would bear the fruit of gentleness, we need to be mindful of that great enemy to it, pride. But if pride is such a pervasive and powerful presence, what can we do about it? how can we, point number two, how can we positively promote, how can we cultivate and fuel the presence of gentleness in our lives? And what I'll do is I'll give you what I think really is the main overarching answer to that question, and then I will identify a few practical pointers that I think Proverbs gives us to grow in this fruit of gentleness. If you've If you have been here with us through this series, if you've been with us through this study of Proverbs, I don't think you're going to be very surprised at what my overarching answer is to the question of how we can grow in gentleness. Uh, It is through the fear of the Lord. That's the overarching lesson of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the fear of the Lord is thus the beginning of gentleness. The, the, the verse that we started with really does teach that very same thing. Look at, at 22.4 again if you're still there in your Bibles or just listen as I read the verse again. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. It just puts together humility. In fact, in the, in the original language, the word and is not there. It, I think it maybe is more literally translated. The reward for humility that is, the fear of the Lord, is riches and honor and life. Humility is a posture that rightly regards itself before the Lord. Those, uh, one commentator said, Those who fear the Lord and thus know their place in the cosmos are by definition humble. They know they are not at the center of the universe. Who are the humble? Humble who are apt, who are then going to be disposed to bend that humility out towards others in gentleness. They are the ones who know their place in the cosmos, who know that they are not the center of the universe, but know that the Most High God, he is the one who is at the center of the universe. It is the sight of God, as he really is, that shrinks us down to our proper size and deflates the pride that stands in the way of our gentleness. That's why we began this service, by remembering and praising the Most High God. Kids, when I, when I say that God is the Most High God, what do you think that means? What comes to your mind when you hear me, hear me say that God is the most high God? You can shout out right now, kids. He's the most high God. Well, what do you think that means, though? There's no other God. No other God. He's the most high. And we've just introduced now that it's not just kids who could actually share. Any kids want to throw out something? He's above all, that's right, he's above all, he's high, he's lifted up, he's majestic, he's great, he's the greatest, he's the most high God. And that's how we began the service in Isaiah 57 verse 15, thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell, he says, in the high and holy place. He is high, he is lifted up, he is the most high. As I was thinking about Isaiah 57 and 15, I couldn't help but think of the encounter that Isaiah had with the Lord that he records for us in Isaiah chapter 6, one that I trust many of you are familiar with. When Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He saw the Lord not standing, not running around, playing catch up with the evil forces of this world, not scrambling, trying to figure things out. He is seated on the throne because there are no legitimate rivals to his throne. And he was seated on that throne high and lifted up. His is not one throne among many. For the most high God, he is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the one who declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. All the nations of the earth are like a drop in the bucket to the most high God. And Isaiah says, In chapter 6, the train of his robe filled the temple. What a robe this must be. What a king this must be to possess a robe like this. We're we're impressed with the train of a wedding gown that stretches down the aisle uh, in in a wedding service. But the robe that belongs to the Most High God comes over the edge of his throne and down into the sanctuary and fills the temple where he is seated. And above him, above the Most High, God stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. We, we sang of these seraphim earlier in the service. These angelic beings are, are mentioned nowhere else uh, but in this vision that Isaiah had. It, it seems as though their whole reason for existence is to adore God's holiness. And we know they are powerful beings because when they speak, as they do in verse 4 of Isaiah 6, the entire foundation of the temple quakes from their voice. And yet these powerful angelic beings are equipped with wings to hide themselves from the blazing holiness of the king for no one can see and and look at the Holy One face to face and live. And one called to another, Isaiah 6 verse 3. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Just as we sang, holy, holy, holy. This is the one attribute of God that is repeated three times. Speaking of God's uniqueness, his his otherness. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the holy one. He is the most high God, and his glory fills the whole earth. And when Isaiah saw it, he was undone. He was not outdone. He was undone. And Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. What an embodiment of of those words that I read earlier. Those who fear the Lord thus know their place in the cosmos. They are by definition humble. They know they're not the center of the universe. Isaiah saw the most high God and he was undone. He knew that he was unclean. The fear of the Lord is not a self-esteem program. When people see the holiness of the Most High God, they are devastated by the weight of their own sin and guilt. But the Most High God does not leave people. He did not leave Isaiah, and he does not leave anyone else who is crushed under the weight of their smallness and their wretched sinfulness before him. He does not leave us to wallow in our guilt and shame. Remember how Isaiah 57, 15 continues in describing the glory and majesty of the Most High God. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The most high God does not remain aloof, distant from sinners, but he condescends to come down and rescue the lowly, the humble, the contrite, those broken like Isaiah was, those broken by the sight of their sin against his infinite majesty, and he lifts them up from the self-made dungeon of their prideful self-centeredness. This is the heart of the good news that we gather each Lord's Day morning to celebrate. That this high and lifted up holy king, the most high God, seated on his throne, he left his throne. We, this would be another song we could, maybe more celebrative. There wasn't a lot of joyful celebration in the songs today. That We didn't plan it that way. but He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite of his, gra- his grace. Emptied himself, either to show or of all but love. To show his love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Amazing love. How can it be that the most high God, the high and holy one who inhabits eternity, that he would condescend and come to save miserable, filthy, prideful sinners who have lived in such a way that we think we can get on okay without him. Amazing love. How can it be that he would leave the splendor of heaven And in gentleness, that he would exalt a lowly people. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can say along with King David, what David sang and praised God for in Psalm 1835. David wrote, you have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness, your gentleness made me great. That word gentleness in Psalm 18.35 is the same word used in Proverbs 22.4, which speaks of the reward for humility and fear of the Lord. Your gentleness made me great. And that's the gospel. I mean, that's, that's what happens in the verses. If we had, I, I cut Jeff off at verse 4 when he was up here, but if we had just kept reading where, where Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He was in the form of God. But he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He was born. The Most High God took on flesh and blood, and he was born in a feeding trough, walked through life without a place to rest his head. He, the High and Holy One, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He who was infinitely rich forsook the riches of heaven so that through his humbling, self-sacrificing death, you and I, sinners though we are, that we could be made great, that we could be clothed in his righteousness and made a co-heir with Christ, destined to reign with him as your inheritance. That is an amazing rags-to-riches story right there. That's a message that is never intended to, to lose its wonder on us, the people of God. That the most high God who had both the right and the power to most forcefully put an end to your life, that he could have destroyed those very tongues that were mocking him and the hands that nailed him to the cross. He could have called down legions of angels to vindicate himself and rescue himself from the agony of the cross, but in gentleness, he restrained himself and he submitted himself to the agony of the cross so that we could be forgiven and brought into the greatness and splendor of heaven. We're not supposed to get over that. That's why we keep telling you about that every single week that we come together for worship. That's not a message that we can ever move on from. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you to the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, we're to run this race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Because it is Jesus' grace that pours contempt on all our pride. And he has made himself available to all right now. So if you're here this morning and you have not repented of your sin, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, hear the words. I'm going to just share them again, what Jeff. Uh, read to us after we prayed uh, and confessed our sins, Jesus, the high and holy one, came and laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice so that you, this morning, in your sin, could hear the most high God say to you, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. If you're laboring and you're weary in the misery of of sin, he says, I will give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And that cuts our selfish pride down. When we've seen the greatness of Jesus going low in gentleness, humbling himself that we might be exalted, that's that's what compels us to pour contempt on all our pride. If you you want to walk in gentleness, beloved, this is rule number one. Fear the Lord. Have a trembling joy at the gracious saving power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Behold the high and holy one stooping down, condescending to bring you into the greatness of eternal life by his very own gentleness. Gentleness. It is really difficult to be harsh and critical and sharp and vindictive and aggressive when our hearts are dwelling richly in the gentleness of Jesus that he showed us in our sinful pride. Harshness flourishes in an environment where we look at other people and think, how could they be like that? How could they think that way? How could they act that way? That's where harshness is loud and screaming. But that mindset can only arise in a person when they are suffering from spiritual amnesia of having forgotten how they've been cleansed from their own sin. So a a right fear of the Lord reminds us of our profound weakness and of Christ's self-emptying love in the midst of our weakness and deals gently with others. We remember the gentleness of Jesus towards us in our sinful weakness and we express that gentleness to others because we're intimately aware of the gentleness that we've been shown in Jesus. Jonathan Edwards put it this way, When you hear Jonathan Edwards maybe think this is going to be a really hard quote, I'm not going to be able to understand it, but I don't think this is hard to understand. It's hard to live. It's hard to live, but this is not hard to understand. Spiritual pride tends to speak of other person's sins with bitterness or with laughter and an air of contempt. But pure Christian humility rather tends either to be silent about these problems or to speak of them with grief and pity. The proud person is apt to find fault with other believers, that they are low in grace and to be quick to note their deficiencies. But the humble Christian has so much to do at home. That phrase really got me. The Christian, the humble Christian has so much to do at home right here and sees so much evil in his own heart, and is so concerned about it that he's not apt to be very busy with other hearts. He is apt to esteem others better than himself. So if if you get nothing else out of the message, I am content if you've grasped that. Those who have experienced the gentle mercies of Jesus are marked by the gentleness that we've received, we express it towards others in a way that reflects his perfect gentleness. Now, that being said, I do, though, want to give you some practical guidance. Okay, that's the big picture. How do we become gentle? We fear the Lord. If that was too simple for you, I am not apologizing because someone would have admonished me for apologizing. Proverbs does, though, give us some practical guidance on how we can grow this fruit of gentleness. And I'm going to mention seven of them. I have seven more points. <laughs> they're, they're going to be brief. They, I'm really just going to run through them proverb style. You know how pro, you read through Proverbs and it's like just boom one after the other. I'm just going to give you these. You can, see that you can see me afterwards for the notes. You don't have to scribble them all down. But here's just some practical wisdom that the book of Proverbs gives us. Gives us beyond that ultimate reality of fearing the Lord. How do we grow in this gentleness? Number one, regularly confess your sins. Regularly confess your sins. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. If, if gentleness flourishes in an environment of humility where our pride is deflated, there's the, the best thing you can do is just be regularly confessing your sins. We try to do that here on Sunday mornings and have a time where we confess sin so that we're brought low before God. Not to wallow there, but to remember the great grace that he's shown us. But don't let this be, I said this earlier, don't let this be the only time that you confess sin. If you want to grow in gentleness, be regular in confessing your own sin. Because it's going to be very hard for you to be harsh when you're living mindfully of how short you still fall of God's holiness. Number one confess your sins regularly. Number two, pay special attention to your tongue. Proverbs 15.4, here's the one reference to the word gentle in the book of Proverbs. It has to do with our tongues. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. That's Proverbs 15.4. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 12.18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. beloved, especially at home, where it's easiest to be most reckless with our tongues, at home, pay attention to your tongue. The tongue can be a great agent, instrument of healing, but it can do great damage. Pay attention to the tongue. Number three, purposefully take the lowest place instead of the highest. Cultivate a discipline, a habit, where you take the low place instead of the high one. Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. I'm not sure what that might look like in your life. Maybe, I don't know, if any of you take public transit. Maybe if some of you go back to school and you have to pick where you're going to sit, where you're going to sit in the lunchroom. Maybe where you come and sit when you come into this gathering on Sunday morning. But be mindful of taking the low seat. This is a way to cultivate humility and gentleness in your soul is just think about taking the low position. Number four, never seek your own glory. That seems pretty obvious, but it's stated in Proverbs 25, 27. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Kids, kids, Uh, it's not good to eat much honey. Maybe you've never scooped a bunch of honey into your mouth, but think of something, think of a really sweet treat that you like. For me, that would probably be ice cream. You could just kind of put in here, it's not good to eat much ice cream. A little bit of ice cream is okay. But if you just ate a bunch of ice cream, you know what that would make? That would make you sick. And Proverbs is saying, seeking your own glory, living for yourself, kids. Not living for God, not thinking about him, not wanting to honor him. But just living like you're at the center of everything. That's going to make you sick the way eating a whole bunch of ice cream makes you sick. It is not glorious to seek one's own glory. Number five, closely related to that one, leave the pointing out of your great value to other people. Leave the pointing out of your great value to other people, Proverbs 27.2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. And I would especially want to talk to the teenagers for just a moment. Teens, teens, teens. In this this social media world that you're just so bombarded by all the time, it's so much about self-promotion. It's so much about, look at me. Look at how great I am. Look at how amazing my experiences are. Look at what I have to say. And the wisdom of God says, don't be talking, be talking about yourself. Let another person commend you for something. You don't need to call attention to yourself. You don't need to post a bunch of pictures about yourself. Even though you don't write the words, look at how amazing I look, When that's in your heart, you don't need to do that. That's not going to lead you in the way of humility and gentleness. And there is an an accompanying lesson for all of us. If we're to let another praise us and not ourselves, that means we should be active in giving commendation and praise and affirmation to other people. Humble people can do that. Humble people aren't so worried about themselves. They can just see evidence of God's grace in other people and they can live it out. They can just share that good news. I, you know, I see God working in you in this way. So let another praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. Number six, embrace your limitations. Embrace your limitations. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. That's another good way to cultivate humility, is to just recognize that your calendar has no sway over what, what actually happens tomorrow. It's good to have a calendar. It's good to plan for things, but it's even better to plan the things and say, if the Lord wills, this is James chapter 4, right? If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring, and it. In, it encourages humility in the soul when we realize we can't even make something that we've planned on tomorrow actually happen. Number seven, consider the reward. Consider the reward. And this is just the verse that I started with. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. In the words of Jesus, it is the meek. Same word, for gentleness in the fruit of the spirit. It is the meek who shall inherit the earth. And Peter writes that those who humble themselves under God's mighty hand will be exalted in due time. And some of you here this morning, and this includes the one who's looking at you right now, some of you are really weary waiting for that due time. But it's coming, saints, because Christ is risen. Christ is risen, I need you to tell me louder than, than Christ is risen, and that means those who humble themselves under God's mighty hand, they will in fact be exalted in due time. Due time might not be your time, it isn't, it hasn't been our time, because I wanted him to come back last night and he didn't, right, didn't I say that, I think I said that to you Chuck, didn't I? He didn't come last night, not my due time. But in due time, we will be exalted if we go low. If we go low before him and express that in lowliness and gentleness towards others. We are all hungry for glory. And there's great glory coming for the people of God. The most high God who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, has promised a glory coming to the humble. To those who by that humility Bear the fruit of gentleness in the power of the Spirit to the praise of God's glorious grace. He is, in fact, worthy, isn't he? How deserving of praise. How deserving of honor. How deserving of a life poured out. A life of love, a life of worship, a life of gentleness as we serve others. Love you, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to be moved freshly at the humility of Jesus. That you would send him, that he would leave his place of majesty to suffer, to have nowhere to lay his head, to be misunderstood and mocked and called the devil the author of life was called the devil by the creatures that he made to suffer disgrace and shame and to undergo it all willingly that prideful sinners like us could be ransomed for everlasting glory. Would you move us freshly with that truth today? And would you help us to respond to it by living a life of gentleness? May our gentleness be evident to everyone, knowing that you are at hand. May we enjoy your gentleness, and may we enjoy reflecting it to others. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.